This is Future Diaries, a podcast from the future, from the future. Welcome to Future Diaries, the podcast that transcends space and time. I'm Antonis. And I'm Mike. And we're your hosts. Antonis and I are intertemporal gliders, bringing you stories from across the multiverse to inspire better presents and better futures. In our last episode, we spoke with our fellow glider, Lisa, and with Dylan, the human Sansevieria hybrid who's sharing the power of storytelling across the solar system in his universe. We talked about exciting advancements in intertemporal communication and, well, intertemporal travel of sorts, ranging from applying insights from ancient spiritual practices to using the latest ICAR technologies to visit other universes. We also heard more from Dylan about what it's like to live as a multi-species hybrid. It was a great conversation, so if you missed it, be sure to check out our last episode. On today's episode, we are once again being joined by an old friend, our favorite Sarlidinian xenoanthropologist and multi-worldwide web quilter of our crew, Dev Dillar. After hearing a few of our recent episodes on multiversal comparative economics, and especially the one where I analyze how things work in my universe, Teddy Lau reached out to us to discuss and understand further. Indeed, but not without conducting a bit of her own research first. As a xenoanthropologist, Tevdalar wanted to see with her own eyes how life is in Inscrovia, so she visited for some preliminary fieldwork and then reached out to us to learn more. But um, perhaps we shouldn't spoil the story. Shall we give it a diary entry list? Absolutely. All right, let's roll. Dear diary, I can't believe how packed this shuttle is. It seems everyone wants to visit Insgrovia, but do they let everyone in? Or maybe there are border checks like in the Larix. Hopefully they let me in without issues. Anyway, I'll be getting back to this entry and adding the focal points of my study visit piece by piece. I'm so excited for my adventure. <laughs> Tourist center. That's very welcoming. They're handing out little glass tablets. Visitor cards, they call them. Apparently, I can't get around in Scrove without one. Need to find out where to exchange my credits. The guide only laughs at my question and tells me that there's no such thing as money here. Since I'm an off-planet visitor, all my needs will be met without payment. But surely they won't give me just anything I want without me paying, right? But then again, that's what Antonis mentioned on the Future Diaries episode that inspired this trip of mine. Strange as it sounds, these people might have just figured out a way to do away with money and still ensure everyone's survival. In the end, that's precisely why I'm here. I don't understand how such a society could prosper, and I want to know more. <laughs> With a handy waypoint leading to a hotel, I set out to explore the city. I still can't believe they allowed me to stay in a hotel just like that. No credit, no money, nothing. They also offered me food without asking for anything in return. That Insgrovian tattle tea could be a new favorite. I must admit it gives a certain amount of relief to not have to worry about affording my basic needs being met. It's interesting to observe a world where that concept is foreign. The visitor card I got allows me to see a number of sites and I'm eager to explore. Hmm, where to first? I'm here to study the everyday behavior of citizens, so a cafe might be a good start. 
Marita, the receptionist, recommended the visit, an artisan coffee shop that also has space for people to study and work on whatever they're interested in. Off I go then. The cafe is indeed very cozy and the coffee is amazing. Had a chat with the bartender. I understand why someone would choose this task to earn RXP. Oh, right. Um, that's the experience points that are like citizen ranking. The standing of the particular person in society and their willingness to contribute. This is a nice job with a lot of opportunities to talk to people from all walks of life. Oh, another visitor. They seem agitated, perhaps a little confused. I hope they're okay. The bartender seems to have gotten to them first. She asks them if they need anything. But her face also suddenly changes, as if she saw a disgusting insect. What's happening? The visitor is loudly proclaiming something and talking to people that aren't there. Perhaps they're unwell? Maybe I can get more insight through my visitor's card. I can only see that the newcomer has a low amount of RXP compared to everyone else in the cafe. Maybe that's the reason they're getting such a different treatment? The bartender seems annoyed with the visitor and tries to ask them to leave. I hear her muttering but only catch a couple of words like not pulling your weight and lazy. Surely people here don't immediately think someone's lazy if they're unable to gain as many points as others. I'll have to look into this later. Phew, that was a long day. I love these research trips when you come back exhausted from all the new experiences and a new culture. I have myriads of questions, but luckily I heard back from Antonis. I can't wait to talk both to him and Mike and to learn more about Insgrofia and this whole universe and everything. So exciting. Welcome back to Future Diaries, Tevdular. It's so nice to hear from you again. So the first question I have for you is actually technical. While listening to your story, I got the feeling that the notes you were taking were being written in uh, real time as the experiences you described were happening. Is that really the case? And if so, how does this work? Ah, yes. It's uh, one of the many things that's so common to the Serlitan way of life that I forget it may feel foreign to many of our listeners. So we have this part of our brain we call noisense, which is capable of listening, interpreting, and recording our thoughts in real time, as long as we ask it to. This part of our brain develops fully during puberty. We spend a few months training it so it can understand our thoughts, and it sort of becomes our companion for life. I've trained my noise sense further so it can sort out my notes on mind maps, which help me to access memories from different periods in time, or even different universes I go to study. In a way, that also makes it easier for me to find common patterns and make my work as an anthropologist more effective. You might recall I talked about merging with the landscape on Earth and my universe after the humans were gone as a way to learn more about it. Well, Sir Ladin can also store our memories, notes, and for those of us who've done the extra training, our mind maps in any physical object or landscape or environment when we merge with it. This makes it easier for us to remember and learn new information from other Sir or any species really, if we learn their uh, language, so to speak, for interacting with their environments. Oh, wow, that sounds incredible. I didn't realize that merging also included the ability to store and transmit knowledge over generations, but that makes sense. Yes, it's uh, an essential part of what makes the Serlidin who we are. And it helps that we live very long lives. It takes a long time to learn to recognize all the patterns in the landscape and all the knowledge and information that exists all around us. I can only imagine. Yeah, 
It's pretty cool, I guess. But it's also something I've come to take for granted over the years. If it's alright with you both, though, I've actually got a few questions that have been percolating ever since my visit to Antonis's universe. Of course. So, I've really been wanting to ask you about that last encounter I had at the visit. Why did the bartender look down on that visitor? The only difference I could see was the lower amount of RXP. Is this such a determining factor for how people treat each other in your universe? To be honest, while I think our universe deals with people's material needs in a far more inclusive way than most other universes I've explored as a glider, it's far from perfect. I just couldn't see it before my studies because I was never affected by the negative aspects of it, which is another reason I'm grateful for my work as a glider, as it allows me to see and understand so much more. So my assumption about this encounter is indeed that the visitor had lower REXP. And that's why the bartender treated them like uh, like an insect, as you described. As I mentioned before, we don't use money in my universe. Everyone's basic material needs are met as a human right, which is a wonderful thing. And we have this reputation experience points system to further motivate people to do specific things that need to be done. That works for most people, but over the many years the system has been in place, it has also shown some unexpected and, uh, dare I say, undesired side effects. The first kind of expected effect, although not to the extent it actually worked out to be, was a profound decline in stress. Due to everyone's basic needs being met, no matter what and without having to do anything to deserve it. That expanded to several other aspects of health, but the effect on mental health was the most impressive. However, sometime later, and clearly after the REXP system was implemented to incentivize people to do work that still needed to be done, but there wasn't enough interest in getting it done, people started gradually competing for getting more REXP than their peers. And a few years later, they also started treating people with different levels of REXP differently. Nobody is ever denied food, housing, education, healthcare, or anything like that. But when it comes to our interpersonal relationships, that's where you see a difference. People with more REXP are liked more and get treated more favorably. There is a system to balance it out a bit by getting upper and lower limits, providing the ability to exchange REXP for special badges in our communication channels and other things like that, which I personally find kind of superficial, but I guess it helps. It just doesn't get to the root of the problem. For the majority of the people who have the time, mental energy, and physical ability to perform tasks for IEXP, that is all fine. But for people who, I guess, like that visitor, are less able to perform, lower IEXP means being looked down upon and not treated as a nickel in social environments, even if all their material needs are met otherwise. And as you have already guessed, this disproportionately affects people with some form of disability, the elderly, people with chronic or even temporary illnesses, and anyone who, for whatever reason, can't perform as many tasks. I'm sad to mention this part of an otherwise well-functioning economy, but I'm even sadder that I didn't realize it before, because I've been in a privileged enough position to not get affected by it. And there are, of course, disruptors in the system, like in every universe. One type of job that is popular here is that of REO specialists reputation experience optimizers, who are basically experts on how this point system works 
who you can hire to point you to the tasks that would maximize your points faster and easier in exchange for, of course, more REXP. Oh, wow. This is way more complicated than I thought. I'm going to need to keep looking into this. So it sounds like your universe does a pretty good job of dealing with people's material needs in a more inclusive way. And my apologies if this question seems a little naive, but if work is not linked to securing one's material needs, then what motivates people to work in your universe beyond the status that RxPs confer? Well, there are intrinsic and extrinsic reasons people want to do any kind of work. The extrinsic ones are easier to organize and plan around, at least if you are in a position that has to figure out a way to motivate people to do specific tasks that will benefit your local community in a material and measurable manner. When we were still using a monetary system in my universe, more than a century ago now, there was this concept of rewarding people with money for such work, which they had to exchange for access to what would cover their material needs. And they tried to link those salaries, I think they called them, to what needed to be done locally. What scholars in Inscrovia realized is that this system essentially acted as a barrier between the people and their basic needs being met. The paradox was that they had already clarified basic human needs as human rights, meaning everyone was supposed to have them met. But the very system that was created to provide access to them, in practice, prevented them from getting what they needed to survive unless they did some kind of specific work. Well, there was also a social welfare system to support those who couldn't do all these types of work, but with its massive bureaucracy, it even strengthened this notion that only if you did any salaried work, you would deserve to have your basic needs being met, which didn't match the notion of human rights at all. This academic realization was, I think, at the basis of the steps that led to the abolition of the monetary system in my universe. Starting in Inscrovia, as I described in the previous episode, where I shared my own academic journey into the history of my own universe, thanks to the study of multiversal comparative economics. So if you'd like to hear more about the early experiments with providing universal housing to all university students, professors, and all employees, and then food for everyone in the campus, and how that led to the pilot program with the giant screens, then be sure to check out that episode. It's, I think, the second episode of uh, this season in your universe. Yeah. So if you haven't already listened to that one, dear listeners, be sure to check it out. And yes, this is all fascinating to hear, Antonis, because in my universe, the major concern about removing the money system entirely is that people will no longer work at all. So could you tell us a little more specifically about the history of that transitional period from having a money economy to getting rid of money altogether? So... Something we've known for a long time is that people also do all kinds of work that isn't paid work, but it's still work. Think of things like uh, taking care of households and children and the elderly, uh, a lot of creative work, hobbies, and helping your local community. But most of this work wasn't part of the work that was getting rewarded with money before. Why some types of work were considered worth of remuneration and some not escapes me, other than... Uh, long-held and often misogynistic traditions. But we do know that work that has inherent value motivates people to do it for intrinsic reasons, because it's meaningful to them or the society around them. What we found is that people started doing a lot more of this inherently valuable work after their survival wasn't tied to getting remunerated for specific types of work. And I mean, a lot. Art and community building were all over the place, which quickly increased how 
happy people felt with their lives. Combined with the lack of stress, thanks to having your basic needs taken care of guaranteed, this led to a drastically higher standard of living in a matter of years. And people still did a lot of the work that needed to be done, even if many didn't like it that much, because those big screens made it clear that it's necessary in order to maintain our standard of living. Imagine how shocked I was when I first realized how things used to be. When I grew up, I took for granted that I didn't have to limit the time I spent on the work I loved just because I also had to do work I didn't love so I can earn a living, as they used to say back then. As far as I'm concerned, I earned my living by being born. Anyway, it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns, of course. There were some things that needed to be done that still weren't being taken care of and couldn't be automated like other things. Things like sewage inspectors, landfill miners, protocol copywriters, and other disgusting or depressingly menial types of work. Over time, tasks like that piled up and a solution had to be found urgently. If we had a monetary system like before, we could keep increasing the monetary reward for these kinds of work until someone would do them. But in a system that doesn't want to coerce people like that, what do you do? That's how reputation experience points came to be. And they work wonders at first. But yeah, after a while, they had the effect Tevdilar observed and I briefly analyzed before. No system is perfect, it seems. Yeah, I remember when we talked previously about REXP in your universe. Aren't they used to gain political office in some places? That seems like it might create some perverse incentives to game the system. Absolutely. So REXP can be used a little differently in each city, which means the incentives for different types of work are geographically specific. But uh, you're right. One fairly common way REXP is used is in qualifying for political office. I can mention two local examples to show how weird our system can get. So along the north end, we have this party called FYI, Free Your Inscrovia. FYI claims that the large screens that we have everywhere are an attack to liberty because their visualized measurements limit an individual's desire to work on what they really want, thus limiting their freedom. They also want to remove any kinds of limits from their RXP system for similar reasons. On the opposite end, in the south, we have a party called TIC, True Inscrovian Citizens. TIC campaigns on a policy of cutting off access to universal housing from low RSP earners until they get over a certain threshold they propose, <laughs> which they also change all the time. They claim that those people are lazy, unlike true Inscrovians who pull their weight, as they put it. Completely ignoring the reasons those citizens may have lower RSP, of course, or even that people in reality tend to work a lot more than necessary just to get the extra RSP. Hmm. Now that I think of it, that bartender you observed might be a tech supporter. I have no idea how familiar this system is to our audience, but I'd love to hear about it. Is there anything like these dynamics in your universes? Let us know on Discord, our dear listeners. Yeah, this is more complicated than I realized too. Even though we've been comparing notes on our universe's economies for over a decade now. It does remind me of a question I've been meaning to ask you, Antonis. So... I would assume that in a universe where people have their material needs provided for, a lot of people would spend their time in creative and artistic pursuits as ends in themselves rather than for their commercial value. But 
the drive to accrue REXP seems like it might conflict with the drive to create art for its own sake, if people's time is limited. So I guess I'm just curious, who determines which works of art constitute contributions to society and are therefore worthy of REXP? And how many REXP do artists receive? Like, are social needs for art ever displayed on the message boards in cities? Hmm. Yeah, I'd actually love to hear more about that too. Yes, Mike's assumption is spot on. My understanding is that valuing art is a challenge, even in universes that have money-mediated economies. And it's a challenge for an REXP-based economy as well. But uh, this is something I could talk about for hours, as it's among my most favorite topics. Maybe that's a topic for another episode, as I feel it deserves its own space. In fact, I have a suggestion. Tertelar, how would you like to stay longer in Iscrovia and study this particular topic? I think my own comments could also benefit a lot more from the perspective of an outsider. Yes, that sounds great. I recently started talking to some street artists I saw while exploring the city. I'm sure their experiences could give us some more insight. We'll keep you posted. On a different note, there's something I keep wondering about. When Esgrovians do good things as part of the REXP granting tasks, do they really do them because they genuinely want to make the world better and to help others? Or because they're driven by their desire to be regarded well in the society or to have a higher amount of RXP? Well, a short answer I can give to that is, if it makes society better anyway, does it really matter? Uh, that's a good point. All right. We'd like to wrap up this episode with our usual final question. What do you hope our audience will learn from your story? It's true that no society and no world is perfect. But we can still learn so much from each other now that we have intertemporal technology. It's important to ask questions and try to understand the benefits and the downsides of any system. That way we can modify and adapt the learnings to ours to make life better. I will certainly keep studying in Scrovia and will one day prepare a research paper and maybe even a proposal to Sir Ladin elders to adopt certain practices that seem to be working well here. That sounds great. Please be sure to share your research papers when they're available. Thank you for joining us today. It was wonderful to talk to you again. Thanks, Tevdalar. That will do it for this episode of Future Diaries. And to you, our listeners, if you appreciate what we're doing here on the show, please don't forget to become a patron at patreon.com slash future diaries. Your support means the multiverse to us, and it helps ensure a stable connection for listeners in your universe. Future Diaries patrons in your universe also get exclusive benefits including merch, early access to podcast episodes, and extra privileges on our Discord server. And be sure to join our Discord server, where we can build a community of Future Diaries together. Please also rate and subscribe to Future Diaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. You can also visit our website at futurediaries.show where you can find additional content about us and our universes we come from, as well as subscribe to our newsletter, join our Discord server, and find other ways to connect with us here at Future Diaries. I am Antonis. And I'm Mike. And we'll talk to you in the future. future.